The Bible is full of images of living in the overflow of God's blessing. The prophet Malachi describes an uncontainable heaven burst of blessings poured out upon us. In Psalm 23, David describes our cups overflowing while we are being pursued by the goodness of God. Jesus was an overflow specialist. He said that he came to give us an overflowing, abundant joy, and that if we would just believe in him, that rivers of life would overflow from our hearts. He came to bring us full life. But the Bible makes it incredibly clear that God fills us so that we will overflow for others. He loves us so that we can love others. He forgives us so that we can forgive others. He gives us life so that we can be life givers. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing. We live in the overflow so that we can live generous lives. This is not about what God wants to get from you. It's about what he wants to give to you. Generous people simply live life, love life, and give life better. Join us for 50 days of teaching, practicing generosity, and generosity challenges that put a smack dab in the middle of God's overflowing generosity. This week, I was reminded of a book I read about a decade ago, Just Walk Across the Room. And in the book, a story is shared about Bill Heibel's son, Todd, and Todd's soccer coach. Todd was in the fifth grade. His coach was a great guy named Brian, really loved the kids, great coach. And one afternoon after practice, Brian was in the middle of the field picking up equipment when Bill felt the Holy Spirit's nudge to go and serve Brian, to be generous to Brian. So he did. They talked a bit. And and to be honest, Brian wasn't all that thrilled to find out that Bill was a pastor. But as the weeks went by, Bill kept praying, kept loving, kept being generous, helping after practice, being generous with his words, thanking him for the impact he was having on his son. And, And they talked about life and kids and soccer. And one day, Bill invited Brian to church. Brian responded instantly and not positively. Like, oh man, I knew it would turn into this, Brian said. I just knew someday it would land here. Look, I'm not interested in church. God's not a part of my life and neither is church. Kind of an awkward moment. But you know what we say here at Calvary, all the good stuff is on the other side of awkward. Just respond with love. No problem, Bill told him. I'm committed to respecting your wishes. But he didn't stop being generous with his time and his words and serving Brian. Eventually, soccer was done, and and they lost contact. But a few years later, years, a few years later, Brian called, and his world was just upside down. His business was bust. His family life was all messed up. He said, I just just want to talk. He said to Bill, "I'm, I'm still not interested in church, but could we talk? They got together a few times, and, and then Bill didn't hear from Brian for months. And, and then one Sunday afternoon, Bill was in a room talking to a, a group of people who wanted to be baptized, and, and he turned his head, and, and there was Brian. He, he almost dropped to the floor, like, what in the world is Brian doing here? And afterwards, he caught up with Brian and just asked him, why, why were you here? Brian said, you know, a couple of months ago, I snuck in during a service, I sat in the back, and and you talked about the need to open ourselves up to God by accepting the work of his son, Jesus. And and on that day, I gave my heart to Christ. So I was here tonight, believe it or not, because I want to be baptized. So Brian got baptized, and he got engaged in the mission of the church. And it was about a dozen years that passed. And one day, Bill's headed 
to his office in the church with his son, Todd. Todd was all grown up. They turned the corner in a stairway, and they ran into Brian. And and in a split second, this 15-year gap between Todd and his favorite coach was bridged. And Brian threw his arms around Todd and told him how great it was to see him. After a few moments of conversation, Brian headed back down the steps, but he stopped at the landing, looked back up and said, Hey, Bill, I just want to thank you for all those times that you walked across that soccer field and opened yourself up to me. The way you served me, the way you were there for me, really, thanks. And with that, he was gone. Hybels finished the story in the book with these words, That's as good as it gets in my world. I don't know about you, but I read stories like that and my heart kind of starts leaking out my eyes because there's something in us that, that longs to be part of stories like that, right? Part of, part of changing the direction of a life and seeing someone come awake to the wonder of Christ. I mean, that's as good as it gets in anyone's world. And it's part of being generous, I would say it's being generous with Jesus. Like, like I've got so much Jesus, and there's so much more Jesus to go around, so let's share Jesus. So welcome to Calvary. Whether you're connecting online or at one of our gatherings, you are so welcome, and, and I'm so encouraged by your stories of generosity. We're on a 50-day journey to a generous life, and, and a lot of you have been using these guides and and if, if I ask how good does it get in your world right now, we kind of know this, but it's good when we're generous, right? It gets good when we're generous. In fact, there was a Berkeley study that found that people over 55 who volunteer in at least two or more different situations had a 44% lower chance of dying than people who aren't generous with their time. And being generous with my time is better than exercising. Hey, eat whatever you want and volunteer at night to shine. It's all good. <laughs> and there are, of course spiritual benefits to generosity. Randy Alcorn, who's written a great book on giving, on generosity, was at a gathering of givers, and and they went around the room telling their stories of generosity. And, And he said the words fun and joy and exciting and wonderful just kept bubbling up. There were lots of smiles and laughter, even tears of joy. Mark, an attorney who who gives away half of his income every year. He said, my pursuit of money drove me away from God, but since I've been giving it to him, everything has changed. Giving has brought me closer to God than anything else. In fact, few things get us closer to the life we want to get than giving away the life that we have. And after all, isn't that what we're all seeking, right? We're, we're all seeking life. And, and all of our accumulation of stuff and our pursuit of people and relationships and, and accolades and affirmation and comfort and control isn't our driving goal to just get a life. I mean, that's why we're here. In fact, that's why Jesus came. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come so that you could have abundant life. I've come so that you could get a life. So the Bible seems to suggest, and we're going to look at this a little bit today, the Bible seems to suggest that there are different levels of life, maybe at least three different levels of life. The the first one is described in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where the author writes in God's words, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that hold no water at all. That's the first level. No life. (laughs) dry, 
parched and cracked souls. We, we don't always realize that we're lacking life, that it's leaking out and not being replenished because for a time the, the cracked cistern works. But then a point comes when what we had just is not bringing us life. Our souls are dry, our hearts are parched, and, and the cracks are just growing. And, and while we might go to work doing our best to fix our cracked cisterns, God says, no, I've got something better. There is a never-ending, always-flowing fountain of living water. Listen, most of you realize this. You do realize that you can have a dream job, beautiful kids, best marriage, best friends, top of your class, and a gnawing feeling of absolute emptiness on the inside. In fact, Maggie Ross describes the start, the beginning of spiritual life as beginning to understand that the feeling of emptiness is really an indication of our hunger for God. She writes, we try to fill up that ghastly hole in the pit of our stomachs that is really in our souls. We try to fill it with food and power, with sex. We begin to realize that this hunger will never be satisfied, not in this life, because it is a hunger for the face of God. So that's the first level of life, no life. And, and to be honest, it's really hard to be generous, to give life away when we have no life. But, but then there's another level of life that we gain when our hunger and our thirst lead us to Jesus. When I acknowledge that my cracked cistern, my reservoir of water is not living, and we come to Jesus, I come to seek Jesus seeking like that woman at the well in John chapter 4, if you haven't read her story, read it. She's, she's got a lot of broken stuff going on in her life, broken relationships and, and shame and longing. She, she comes to this well thirsty and she ends up meeting Jesus and, and they end up having a conversation about water and thirst. And in John chapter four, verses 13 through 15, Jesus replies to her, anyone who drinks this water, talking about the well water, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty, never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. She came to Jesus, maybe didn't even know she was going to meet Jesus, but she came thirsty. Please, sir, give me this water. Can you see yourself at that well? Maybe, maybe you're still committed to doing it on your own. I'll make it my way, do my own thing, fix my cistern. But what are you really thirsty for? Uh, some of you have grown up in the church and, and you've had to stand through music that wouldn't get you off your feet. You had to listen to too many boring sermons and, and you've been frustrated while religious people made up rules that made absolutely no sense to you. I've, I've been there and I've done all of that, but I remember the first time that God just broke me. And for the first time in my life, I, I knew that I had this deep thirst, not, not for religious stuff, not for programs, but for God, for Jesus. And for his life and love to flow into me and, and out of me. And, and it's not a one-time thing. My goodness, that, that thirst for Jesus keeps me coming back to Jesus. But, but it begins with thirst. Acknowledging your thirst and turning your back on the cracked cistern. She, she came to Jesus and Jesus changed her life. He gave her life that, that became like a, a bubbling spring within her. And so we go from the no life of a cracked cistern to a bubbling spring within me. It's just enough life for me. 
And, and I've seen that over and over again. Somebody finally surrenders and they come to Jesus and they drink and, and life begins to bubble up inside them. There's this transforming, redemptive restoration kind of taking place, healing up the hurt places and, and forgiving people, experiencing maybe for the first time the love of Jesus, the, the peace of Jesus, the joy of Jesus. This bubbling life is in me and stuff is changing. It's enough. And in fact, it's more than enough for me, but it's still kind of about me. And, and that's okay for a time, but never for more than a time because there's another level. You, you don't want to stop there. There's, there's another level. It's the one we're focusing on today. It's the overflow of life. It's the overflow of life that Jesus is offering in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. Where it says this, John describes it. It says, on the last day, on the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from their hearts. It's like so much life, you, you can't contain it in your life. I mean, isn't that a compelling image? I mean, don't we want that? Hearts like deep mountain springs overflowing in rivers of living water. Yeah, maybe you're not even entirely sure what in the world Jesus is talking about, what it even means. But yeah, yeah, I I want that. I want overflowing life. So here's the really good news. Jesus is not just a great wordsmith. He's not just painting a pretty picture. He's offering us something deeply real. This is not just an inspiring metaphor. It's a real description of unseen realities. Jesus was offering everyone who could hear them and everyone who can hear me, all of us, a way of living and a manner of life that so overflows with life that we become a gathering place for thirsty people. Thirsty people gather at living water rivers. So just ask yourself, what is flowing from my heart right now, in my life, in my workplace, in my school, with my friends, in my neighborhood? What's flowing from my heart? Is it rivers of living water? Am I, are you, are we living in the overflow of life? And in this third level of life, we we start to realize it's not ultimately about what God wants from me. It's all about what he wants for me. It's about getting into the overflowing source of God of life. So for a few moments, let me, let me just paint a picture of this amazing offer by, by helping us see what's taking place on this day in this moment. Just imagine a great celebration, a tradition passed down from year to year for generations, for hundreds and thousands of years. Imagine homecoming a homecoming celebration woven through with the gratitude of Thanksgiving, mixed with the anticipation and wonder of Christmas, surrounded with kind of an intergenerational family feel of the tents of the Grange Fair, for those of you who know what that is, or or take your hometown celebration and just multiply it to the 10th power. This is a seven-day party, and everybody comes, everybody, not just in the city, from all over. Everybody comes, parades and spiritually meaningful rituals and lots of food and family and fun for seven days. This is the Jewish festival of tents, festival of booths, sometimes people say. It took place every October, partially a time of thanksgiving for harvest, but even more so a time when the Jewish people would remember how God provided for them through the 40 years of wandering in the desert before they entered their promised land. All the Old Testament story stuff. 40 years they experienced of dry, parched, thirsty days. 40 years of of difficulty and uncertainty and discomfort, always wondering if there was actually anything better that was ahead of what you had. Wondering if we'll ever find a home, a place, joy, peace, and hope. 
but God never left them. During their desert days, their wilderness days, he provided guidance, bread from heaven, water from a rock, and sandals that never wore out. And so this celebration is a remembrance of hard times that ultimately led to good times, to their promised land. Good times that that right now you're hoping will one day come again because right now in this moment you are in desert days. Personally, maybe. Days when you can't believe how angry your family has made you and you just want to run away, but you can't. So instead you just get angry. Days when your heart is cold towards a loved one and you wonder if it'll ever warm up again. Lonely days and anxious days where you hear yourself saying, I just, I don't know what to do. I can't keep going, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. See, one thing that those wilderness desert days are good for is they bring us face to face with our thirst. And what if that insatiable thirst is there so that you won't settle for anything other than Christ? Does your soul have a dry, parched feel to it right now? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for years, but lately you're spiritually dry. You rarely pray, frustrated a lot. It's been months since you really tried to listen to God. There's there's more anxiety than there is peace, more discouragement than joy. You're you're in the desert. Maybe you're not a Jesus follower, but occasionally you come to church or or you sit down with a friend who talks about Jesus and, and something just kind of happens. Or maybe it's just a song that's streaming and, and there's this tug at your heart and a tear comes to your eye and you're not even sure why. But perhaps it's because you were made for God. And that soul thirst will not be quenched by anything or anyone else. That day when Jesus stood on the steps of the temple, the last day of this great celebration, the climax of the day, I want to suggest that the people who were gathered there, for the most part, they were living in desert days. As a nation, they were slaves to the nation of Rome. As a spiritual people, they had become legalistic and and lifeless. And many of their leaders were self-centered and self-serving. And people were looking for something more than bottled water to quench a thirst deep in their souls, someone to give them hope. They were looking for a Messiah. And so they've, they've gathered from all over, not just the city of Jerusalem, all, all over. They've, they've pitched their tents and, and they're remembering days when a tent was all they had, wondering if there might still be a promise for them, something better ahead for them. And every morning for seven days, the priests would perform this elaborate ceremony, which was the spiritual heart and soul of the festival. A processional of priests would take jars, large jars, and a parade of people would follow them down the steps of the temple, down to the pool of Siloam, and, and they fill their jars. And, and they make their way back to the temple where tens of thousands of people gather to watch as the priests pour their jars into an altar. It's an altar with a basin at the top, but there's a hole in the basin. And and when they pour the water in, it flows through the hole out the bottom of the altar and then runs down the steps of the temple. And actually at the heart of this is they were remembering that time in the desert when they had a great thirst and there was no water and they cried out to God and God provided water from a rock. They do this every day for seven days, but then on the seventh day, the climax of the festival, this day that Jesus, we see Jesus at, they they do it seven times. Seven times they make the processional. Seven times they come back and they pour the water. And and in their midst, I can almost hear the people crying out for more. Adonai, Adonai, pour out your spirit. Adonai, quench our thirst. Give us hope. Give us life. And then... 
In steps Jesus. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink, for the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within you. And do you understand Jesus is offering them more than a drink to give life to their own thirsty soul? He's offering to help them become life givers. How does that happen? What's involved in the creation of a a life giver? Let me read those few words again. It's fairly simple, not necessarily easy to do, but simple to understand. Again, John 7, 37 through 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, a scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, let me add those words. By this, he meant the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Now, here's where it starts. It starts with anyone. Let me say that again for everyone listening. It starts with anyone. Anyone who is thirsty can come. That's Jesus' offer, anyone. And, and if you read John 7 later, don't miss who is hearing his words. Don't, don't miss the anyone. You read John 7 and you'll see that this crowd is filled with doubters and deniers, rule-following religious leaders who actually want to kill Jesus, imprison him and kill him. There's, there's the confused and the uncertain, the oppressed and the discouraged, the fearfully hopeful and even unbelieving family members. And he says, anyone... Let anyone, anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come, anyone. Is there anyone who is left out of anyone? Anyone listening then or now, anyone who is thirsty for something more and willing to come to Christ? Because you see, we come to Christ for Christ. he, He doesn't have what we need to satisfy our thirst. He is who we need to satisfy our thirst. Jesus is what our souls drink. You are more than a physical being. This is, this is spiritual. The ache in our hearts is an ache for Christ. Jesus said something similar in, in John chapter six. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and and whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will never thirst. And and that's the turning point, isn't it? Believing. The invitation is to anyone who thirsts, and sooner or later our souls will thirst. But in the coming, in the coming to Christ, you you have to believe. I I have to have faith. It it doesn't need to be perfect faith. It it can be small and, and even mixed with doubt. It's not the quality of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith, Jesus. But it's got to be more than just saying so. It's more than just words. It's more than, than just, yeah, I, I believe this. I, I don't believe in Jesus if I don't believe Jesus. And I don't believe Jesus if there's no doing in my actions, if there's no responding to what he calls me to do, how he calls me to live. See, believing is more than just intellectual assent. It requires a step or steps of risk-taking faith. And man, with the people in the crowd that day, some seeking to arrest and even kill Jesus, doubters and deniers, the angry and offended. I mean, that day, think about this, coming to Jesus, acknowledging that he was the one sent from God, that he was the Messiah, the Savior, signing up for his team, taking a step in his direction. That was a step of risk-taking faith. 
And for anyone who is thirsty, who comes believing to drink, oh my goodness, rivers of living water, the Spirit of God, an overabundance of Jesus, Jesus spilling out of you everywhere you go, more than enough. So now go and be generous with Jesus. Now be generous with Jesus. Being being generous with your time, that's cool. Being generous with your finances, I hope you are. Being generous with forgiveness, we'll be in, in prison if we don't. But what could be better than being generous with Jesus? That, that's really the offer in John 7. Jesus is standing here today calling in a loud voice, let, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I, I've said it before, and you'll hear me say it again in these 50 days. When it comes to the generosity of God, God has an unlimited capacity to give but we have a limited capacity to receive. God has an unlimited capacity to give us Jesus. There's more Jesus than we could ever contain, but we have a limited capacity to receive Jesus. So if we want more of Jesus, if we want more of his spirit, we need to be generous with Jesus. We need to share Jesus. We need to let the rivers of living water flow. The the Greek word translated here as flow is, is the word reo, And it really means gush. Like rivers of life will gush out of you. Not a reservoir, rivers. Not not a trickle, white water, leaving behind not not a mud puddle, but uncontainable life. And what would it look like if we were a church like that? Like everywhere we go, grocery store, gas station, sports, school, work, neighborhood. Everywhere we go, life and the Spirit, Jesus himself just gushing out of our hearts. Man, I want to be a church like that. If you've ever heard Tony Campolo speak or read any of his books, you've likely run across his signature story, at least what I think of when I think of Tony. It was four in the morning, 4 a.m. Tony had traveled from East Coast time to Hawaii time, and it felt a lot like breakfast time. So he found himself in a greasy spoon diner at four in the morning, munching on a donut and and sipping his coffee when the door of the diner swung open and in marched eight provocative and boisterous prostitutes. Surrounded in the small diner, Tony felt more than a little bit out of place, and and he's just about ready to make his getaway when he overheard one of them say, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend, one of the other ladies responded kind of sarcastically, so what do you want from me? You want a birthday party? You want me to get a cake and sing happy birthday? Why do you got to be so mean? The first woman said back. I was just telling you, that's all. I don't want anything. I, I mean, why should I want anything? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life, which gave Tony a generosity idea. When the women left, he called Harry, the cook over. He said, do they, those ladies come in here every night? And Harry said, yeah. And The one next to me, does she come in every night? Yeah, that's Agnes. Why? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you say we do something for her? So they made plans. Tony Tony had the decorations. Harry had the cake. By 3 a.m. the next morning, the greasy spoon was looking pretty good. And word must have gotten around because by 3.15 in the morning, it seemed like every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. At 3.30 a.m., the door swung open and in walked Agnes. And as everyone screamed, happy birthday, Agnes's mouth fell open, her legs buckled. 
But when everybody began to sing happy birthday, her, her eyes began to water. But when, they, when the birthday cake was brought out, she just lost it. She began to weep, couldn't stop. Harry the cook kind of gruffly mumbled, ah, oh, come on, Agnes, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And finally, Harry blew out the candles and he handed her a knife and Agnes looked down at the cake and softly said, look, look, Harry, is, is it all right if I, is, is it okay? Could I just keep the cake a little longer? Is it okay if we don't eat it right away? And Harry kind of shrugged and said, sure. So she got off the stool and picked up the cake like it was the holy grail and, and walked slowly to the door. When the door closed, the diner was completely silent until Tony broke the silence with the words, can we pray? And can I just say how sorry I am that, that in the church, most people would think it's strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner at 3.30 in the morning. But he prayed. He prayed for Agnes' salvation. He prayed that God would pour out living water upon Agnes and show her Jesus. And, and when he finished, Harry the cook leaned over the counter and with a little bit of hostility in his voice said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And one of those moments where the Holy Spirit just kind of brings the right words, Tony said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry was quiet for a moment and then he almost sneered, nah, nah, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I would join it. I would join a church like that. I, I want to be that kind of church. The kind of church that Harry would join. The kind of church that would throw a party for Agnes. I, I want us to be so generous with Jesus that living water flows out into the driest of places. That's what a church without walls does. You know, back in 2018, we set a 12-year vision, our 2030 vision, I think it's probably my last chapter of ministry. I hope it's a, a long chapter, but, but it's also our next chapter in building a church without walls. The 2030 vision is this. It's our desire to be part of a movement that will see the number of Jesus apprentices double in central PA by the year 2030 and in the process catalyze an epic release of leaders. Now, i got to be honest. When I think of doubling the number of Christ followers in central PA, part of me is kind of like, how in the world could we ever do that? I keep wanting to soften the numbers, kind of pull them back in, make them a little fuzzy. But there's this whisper in my soul that I think is the Spirit of God saying, don't you dare settle, Dan. Ask me for more. Last week at Harvest Fields, Pastor Scott in his announcement said, you know, it seems kind of daunting if we look at the whole deal. But really, if we want to double the number of Christ followers in Central PA, all it takes is all of us. <laughs> If every Christ follower in Central PA lead just one person to Jesus in the next six years, we get it done. So here's my challenge. Can we start, each and every one of us, not, not just pastors, not just staff, not just leaders, not just people who are good at it, can we start being more generous with Jesus than we've ever been before? Can we share Jesus with more people than ever before? And can we start with just one 
The generosity practice this week is believe. And, and let's be honest, sometimes it feels like it takes way more faith to share Jesus with one of our friends than it does to give money. But can you hear Jesus? If you believe, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from your heart. So even this week, this week coming up, would you take a step of faith this week and believe in Jesus enough to share Jesus with one? When you came in at most of our gatherings, you got some sort of blank card like this. If you're watching online, get one before we're done. I'm just asking you to join me in putting a name on that card. Maybe put the words on the top, my one, who's your one, and then a name. And, and if you don't know who, who should go on your card, it's probably somebody from your hashtag. And if you don't have a hashtag, then during this next song, just ask the Spirit of God who is on your list, God. Who, who do you know is ready for me to be generous with Jesus? And, and then write their name down. What if we were to become more generous with Jesus than we've ever been, ever before? Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that there is so much more of Jesus than we can even begin to imagine, that there is more of Jesus, more of your spirit, more of your heart, more life and love to give to us than we can begin to imagine. I pray that each and every one of us, God, that each and every one of us would become a fountain of living water, rivers of life flowing out of us, rivers of Jesus, rivers of, of the Spirit of Jesus flowing out of us. God, would you give us a name? And, and maybe it's not somebody who, who right away is going to respond. Maybe like, like that soccer coach, it, it'll be awkward in the beginning. But God, give us, give us an opportunity to be generous with Jesus so that as the days and weeks and months and maybe even years go by, there's a seed planted that that person will respond to. And we ask it in Jesus' name, the giver of life. Help us to become life givers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.